Welcome to Wellness and Wisdom. This is Josh Trent. I am your host. This may or may not be the perfect place for you to start. Every Friday, we publish a guest episode, a featured re-release where I got to sit down with another podcast host. But if you're interested in our full-length episodes, check out our Tuesday or our solo cast releases on Thursdays. This is The Bledsoe Show with my friend, Michael Bledsoe. And in this episode, this rebroadcast is called Discovering Truth in Life. And I'll tell you, this episode is for courageous people only. The topics we discuss in it are going to challenge you deeply. Mike and I touched on a lot of truths that many people would rather distract themselves from than face them, sit in the discomfort that may form and learn the lesson to be learned from overcoming them from sharing personal experiences that have taken years to accept and work through to universal laws and truth that humanity is slowly waking up to, this episode, this special rebroadcast of The Bledsoe Show has everything for someone who wants to see things more clearly in their life. Three big moments you're gonna love from this episode is the flaws of human design, We'll talk about the weight of gravity our emotions have, and can you actually get ahead of the curve? What is truth? Truth is such a subjective and objective concept. It may be hard to swallow, but your truth, what you currently believe, is actually inaccurate and simply an opinion of yours that you hold. It is not the objective. We'll go deep into shame, guilt, insecurities, so you can leave this podcast with a big up leveling in the way that you approach your own emotional intelligence and know yourself. If you like this podcast, make sure you go over and follow my buddy Michael over at thebloodsoshow.com and also leave us a review on this podcast, joshtrent.com forward slash review. To all my Spotify audience, thank you. Spotify is the best platform. I've actually been focusing myself on Spotify more than any other platform. So give us some love. Give us a quick rating on Spotify. It helps us reach more people out there in the interwebs so we can bring on bigger guests and put out better content every single week. There's a part of you that is excited about the year ahead. There's a part of you that knows where you've been in the year behind. But what is the part of you in the middle that knows you are already whole and complete and loved and accepted for exactly who you are? And what do you need to support that? To build a scaffolding of resources, people, supplementation, behavioral practices, anything and everything to remind you on a daily basis that you are loved, you are supported, and you're on the right path. There's only one place that I go, and that's joshtrent.com forward slash store. Whether it's home, kitchen, biohacking, sinus care, blood sugar, digestion, cognition, anything and everything when it comes to your wellness pentagon, your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial ways that you nourish yourself every single day, head over to joshtrent.com forward slash store. This is the only place for the best of the best wellness tools, resources, supplements. Forget about hunting around in the ocean on the internet. I've put everything in one place for you to easily find and purchase at a deep discount and you support the show. As you know, this podcast is brought to you for free by Wellness Force Media and myself. And so every single time you purchase something from the store page, you not only help yourself out and your wallet, but you also help the show. joshtrend.com forward slash store. From my heart to yours, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this special rebroadcast of The Bledsoe Show. So let's go. Discovering Truth in Life, episode 18 of The Bledsoe Show. All right. So um, we met in Encinitas, California. We did. What was it? Seven years ago, maybe? Six years ago? Six or seven. Yeah. 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 And you were just getting started in podcasting. Yes, 2015. And now I'm watching you and uh, the... The transformation has been epic, 
And now it's obvious you're on a mission. And uh, yeah, I'm curious how you would describe the mission that you're on. Well, the mission started with this question, how do I live my life well? Mm. And it's just transformed since then um, with everything you can imagine. But podcasting is the ultimate journey. Like you better be prepared to share everything in full transparency because people can smell when you don't. So that's been the journey for me is like, how do I open my heart and have thick skin at the same time? I'm still figuring that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was um, one of the things, some of the feedback I've gotten over the years is that I'm I'm, uh, raw. So same thing. I would consider you to be a raw guy. Yeah. 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 It's authentic. It's, you know, I don't edit the show. There's, uh, yeah. And uh, people do like it. People do like it. So the thick skin part, what do you, what you, can you say more about that? Yeah, I mean, I identify as an HSP, like a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be really careful as an empath to not take on people's shit. Yeah. Uh, it was actually uh, James Schmachtenberger that told me that. And I looked into more of the research on HSPs and I was like, yeah, that's definitely me. Um, so the thick skin is like, how do you express yourself? Like really who you are radically, everything that you feel is true. And at the same time, how do you not take on people's judgments, people's shit, and people's projections? So that's what I mean by thick skin. Yeah. the uh, I mean, that's been especially true over the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Like, the yeah. I think it was, it was so much easier until about two years ago. And then if you stated any opinion that was not in perfect alignment with somebody else, I think everybody else just got a dose of HSP. Right, like yeah. people, people made it about them, and like every comment made publicly was people took it personally, and then they would come back and attack you. I would be attacked or cancel you. That this is this is where cancel culture came from. Like yeah. I don't agree with what Mike or Josh is saying, so I'll just block them. I'll live yeah. in this echo chamber of my own truth. Have you ever read uh, Coddling of the American Mind? No. Oh, it's good. So they use um, CBT, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy uh, uh, concepts to talk about what's happening culturally, especially in the academic world. And because whatever's happening in the academic world is going to bleed into the corporate world and just into culture overall. And uh, there are different distortions. And so there's in CBT, there's a list of distortions, cognitive distortions. So uh, black and white thinking would be one. Uh, another one uh, is um, catastrophizing. You know, a worst case scenario is the thing that always pops up in people's minds. And so the idea is uh, in the book, they talk about how uh, cancel culture came from a cognitive distortion. And so what ended up happening is people started, um, well, they were talking about how uh, the the conversation, the language around uh, emotional trauma emerged in, say, the 80s. Before the 80s, there was no such thing, uh, such thing as emotional trauma. Hmm. Trauma was something that was could only be physically experienced. And so because, and, and you and I both know that emotional trauma is real. Like you have so, it's palpable, and it yeah. and it lives in the body. There is a physical change that happens with it, and it starts to dictate personality <clears throat> and all sorts of behaviors. But what ended up happening is there's this conflation of 
uh, emotional trauma, with physical trauma. And if I do anything that might uh, uh, trigger your emotional trauma from your past, you now think that's violent. And so now people start thinking that if I trigger emotional trauma, I'm being a violent person, which makes me immoral. And now I I should not be heard. We got to shut this guy up. And so that's in that book. They talk about how that uh, I should probably get try to get one of the authors on the show. Yeah. But in that book, they talk about that's uh, that's kind of how uh, cancel culture has come about. I can relate to that on a personal level. The hyper vigilance that I was raised in. I've mm-hmm. had to really unpack hypervigilance because if I'm triggered by whatever you're saying or by what anybody's saying, it's obviously something in myself. Now that's easy to, to intellectualize and be like, oh, well, you know, what is it about you that is inside of me? And I get it on some level, we understand that, yeah. but it actually is true. And it's not just like spiritual pontification. Truly, if I'm triggered, like triggered to the point where I need to be angry or I need to project my judgments about how the other person should be different, it's a trigger for me to look at. It's something within me that like can't deal with the fact that someone else has a different opinion or a different way of being. And I've run the gamut on that, specifically around COVID. I think when, when COVID first came out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the theater of COVID first came out, I was like, who are these fucking people wearing masks in cars alone on the freeway? <laughs> and I, I had to go through- You were like, offended. <laughs> I was offended Well, because it was a deeper thing. That was the reason why we came out to Austin. You know, Carrie got pregnant with Nova. We had this beautiful place overlooking the lagoon and the ocean in Cardiff, like still miss that spot. And and I was like, the the trigger for me was a cop came up to us. We're watching the sunset and he goes, you guys can't be out here with masks on. Or without masks. Yeah. Yeah. Without masks, without wearing masks. And I I was like, I think we need to go. Like it was like an immediate, you know, you get those nudges from the universe. That's what led us to Austin was this quest for freedom. And and in that quest for freedom, I had to unpack what are the ways that I allow my anger to control my behaviors when it comes to people choosing to wear a mask, people choosing to get vaccinated. If they want to do that, cool. You know, I think I probably did 15 shows on the podcast with like all these doctors and Zach Bush unpacking all the wisdom of like, hey, you probably shouldn't get the jab or you don't really need to wear a mask. But I had to like really understand like people are who they are. When the amygdala gets taken over, you are a slave. You are a slave to your own mind. And there's something that needs to be really looked at. Yeah. And there's um, the, the thing that I, I, I put into, over the last couple of years, I put people in two camps. Like you either, you either think like this or you think like this. And in one camp is the thought that people, uh, not everybody is equal. And then on the in the other camp is that everybody has, well, we'll say equal rights. Not everyone has equal rights. And some people think that people have equal rights. The majority of the population don't believe in equal rights. and But they're usually the ones that are most adamant about talking about it. And the people who believe in equal rights don't believe that any one person or pe- a group of people have the right to tell someone else what to do yeah. with their own life, right? And so what we do is we have a, a, a small minority that believe in equal rights, and then you have a, a large majority that say they believe in equal rights, but they actually haven't thought it all the way through because they, they want to be able to boss people around. I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was on my way out of California anyway when COVID hit, but it was definitely something that was going to keep me out after that is 
it's a bunch of people. There's a larger majority of people in that state that don't believe in equal rights. And that is problematic. That's dangerous. Yeah. It's a dangerous place to be. And I can totally understand not wanting to raise a child there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I believe in freedom and freedom comes from me. And if you are only comfortable, if I do exactly what you say, there's nothing equal about that. Yeah. <laughs> equal yeah. doesn't exist when, when it depends on you doing what I say for it to be equal. That's not equality. Yeah. So that, that's a really big piece for me. And honestly, when I got here to Austin, there was a lot of people wearing masks. There was still the conversation of the COVID theater here too, um, especially downtown. That's why, that's, what, that's why we chose to live in North Austin because it's a little more country up there, a little more free. Oh yeah, when you go when you get into more uh, 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 rural areas, people are much more independent. Yeah. They're they're less. Uh, they they're actually having to make their own rules. It's not even so much that they get to make their own rules; it's like they have to make their own rules. Whereas in the city. You're told what to do all the time, so you don't have to think very much. And so it makes sense to me that people who live closer to the city are much more comfortable just being told what to do yeah, and following the rules because that's how you survive in the city. But the way that people survive in the rural environment is you have to make your own rules because then if you don't, you'll get hurt. Yeah, the juxtaposition is like when you're outside the city, there's a shared <clears throat> space where you can depend on each other more. I felt this in Sedona too. Mm-hmm. I lived in Sedona for like three months. You really have to look after your neighbors there. Mm-hmm. In, in cities, case in point, we were at Barton Springs two days ago. And they're like, no food, no music, no running. If lightning is heard in the sky, even if it's nowhere around, you have to wait for 30 minutes to go back in the pool. Lifeguards patrolling around like the Gestapo trying to make you not eat a snack. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fucking wild. And, I, and I, was, I felt myself being triggered. And I'm like, okay, rather than me ruin the day, let's just choose to not come to Barton Springs anymore. I yeah. want to go into like the Jessica Hollis Park and up by my house where we can just be. You know, no one's yeah. patrolling us. No one's checking in on us. And that that is a macro, micro conversation where big brother, government, even on a state level, they're all peering into our lives to make sure that, quote, we're safe. Yeah. But I create my own safety. My safety isn't dependent on someone else telling me what's safe. You know, that's a whole different conversation. Well, I think when you get a bunch of people in one area, it, it there's going to have to be some, some type of rules. Like, if you didn't do that with sure. Barton Springs Pool, it could be... It would turn into Barking Springs, which it's is on, right it, next door. It's on the other side. <laughs> There's a fence. There's a fence. That's yeah. where the, uh, the the crack is being smoked. Exactly. Is over there. Sometimes I go over there. Not to smoke crack, but to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to be able to bring my friend's dog or something. Yes, yes. So, uh, But I, I do think that when you get into a high density, high density population of people, uh, it there's a necessity, I think, for somebody to be in charge. Uh, whereas uh, it, I, I think it's a very unnatural place to be is in the city. I think so too. But you get out in the country and and there's it, it it's different. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we were ever like on a biological evolutionary level designed to live so close to one another. You know, we have a six foot radius. Right now, my my GI is talking to your GI. There's a redox system. We're like, you know, I'm looking at all the micro muscles in your face to make sure you're safe. You're doing it with me. This is like how we're designed. So to have an apartment building where there's a thousand people and you're absorbing all their energy and all the Wi-Fi and all the concrete, no matter how many trees you put in your house, in your apartment, 
I just don't feel like we were designed for that at all. No. In any way. No. I went to uh I went to Paris a while back, uh maybe four years ago. And I'm I, I went to the cathedrals, I went into the museums, and it was talking about I forget how many years ago, but it wasn't that long ago. It was like several centuries ago. The population of Paris was like it was huge and then it was like 10,000 people or something. Like the the big cities, the amount of the amount of people that live this in 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 a city these days is very new. It's a very new occurrence that there's this many people. So there's a lot of unnatural things going on. Look at San Fran too or uh Chicago or New York like we're living in a way that actually is irritating nature. Yeah. We're living kind of against the will of nature. And so there's, you know, there's byproducts of that, which create disease and, you know, maladaption to your environment. I mean, it's a lot to unpack. I think people mostly put their head in the sand. They're just like, ah, it feels good. So I'll do it. Yeah. But there's so many things going on around us at all times that are happening that I think maybe to go back to the two camps conversation you had, I'm either aware of my environment and aware of how I feel in my body and in my relationships and in my community, or I'm just kind of rolling with it. I'm just like ignoring what's happening. Yeah. Or, I, I or, see that or a being a pure product of it and not making a choice around what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I decided when this whole uh, COVID thing came around was I go, okay, when it first, you know, in March of 2020, I go, wow, this really is this transmissible and dangerous. The city is the worst place to be. If, if disease is going to spread, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread most easily in the city, yeah. not out in the country. Yeah. So I went out to the country. I went to Southern Utah. But there's also this quote that I heard a long time ago, which is the uh, nature's solution to pollution is dilution. And if you have a, when you look at a city and it's so dense and there is no, uh, there's not enough space to dilute the pollution. It's like we're, we're all polluting all the time, right? And we're all, you know, if I look at, how much waste I create and this and that. It's nothing the environment can't handle. But if you take 2 million of me and you push me into a, a, you know, a 10 mile radius, now we're, we'd have to spread that out really, really far. It gets really funky really fast. Mm -hmm. So with pollution comes disease and all these other things. Yeah, I think it's a proximity issue. So if you and I are in like tribes and we all have like a shared value set, so I believe that whatever I take, I'm going to give back in some way, right? And you could slant me and be like, well, you buy stuff on Amazon, <laughs> which is true. I buy stuff on Amazon, but I, I recycle it. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's a little more mindfulness in the two camps. Like one of them, the camp that I, I guess I'm in for the most part is that I'm more mindful than the average person about the things that I buy, the stuff that I ingest, yeah. the way that I live. And I think that's a conversation that people they almost wear it like a badge or like a virtue signal. Like, look, I'm, I'm recycling or I'm this or I'm that. It's not something that I advertise, but it is something that I believe in because I, I just want to leave a good place for my son. You know, yeah. he, he just turned a year old and that's really been on my heart lately. You know, what are we as parents doing to leave this place at least in a good space or if not better 
when he has children. Yeah, we can do it better. We can do a way better job. Yeah. And, and I think it starts with like the grassroots conversations like this podcast where people are just like, oh yeah, I don't have to watch CNN. I don't have to believe like the standard narrative. And that's a really big one, man. That's that's something that I've been feeling a lot lately too. Yeah, I, I travel to, uh, I, I think you've traveled quite a bit too, but a lot of other countries and there might be trash all over the place. And uh, there's been several times where people have been like, oh my God, there's so much trash here. I'm like, not really. We're just really good at hiding it. Yeah. Like in the States. <laughs> like, like we just create landfills. We're just better at burying. I think we're probably producing more. There's like a really cool, I don't know if you want to explore this, the way we bury trash and the way we bury our waste. It's the same thing as to how we suppress our emotions. Oh, we yeah. push down our feelings. Like in, I, I grew up in East County, La Mesa, which was like geriatric ward. I played football. What, and, what state is that in? Uh, California. Okay. It's like East County, San Diego. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And when I grew up, it was like, you didn't show emotion. You stuffed that shit down. I remember my football coach was telling me like, oh, you hurt yourself? Well, put some dirt on it and get back out there, pussy. Like that, that was the narrative for me. So dude, in my adult life, I'm 42 now, there was probably a good 20 years of unpacking emotional suppression where I had to empty out that landfill on the inside. And I, I think it's actually kind of funny. It's not funny. It's tragic that we hide trash and we hide what's really going on on a physical visual level, it's the same thing on the inside. Yeah. It's the exact same, I guess you could say process. So what do we do about it? What do we do with the physical trash? <laughs> the physical trash. I mean, that you might have a conversation with Zach Bush about that one. Oh, okay. I, I think he's investing in things that are uh, cleaning up the ocean and there's a way to like reverse the carbon. Um, Josh Tickell, kiss the ground is pretty good at that. That's not my specialty. <laughs> yeah. My my specialty and, and really what I'm all about is is the emotional intelligence side. Yeah. You know, how do I how do I relate to myself? What's the narrative for myself? Am I actually on a continuous basis healing in this world or am I putting my head in the sand? And it's not for everyone. I, I think like to go on the spiritual path and to go on the path of self-reflection, it's fucking wild. You're gonna have times where it's not going to be sexy. It's going to feel really shitty, actually. And I think that's why with compassion, I, I think most people don't don't go on the path. I find a lot of people uh, that... I, I run into people who have not done any personal development work um, at all or very minimal or these conversations are, are brand new. And I think that... Uh, what I've noticed is if they just understand that their internal experience is actually not that unique, I think people are so isolated mm. and they don't share what's going on and there's a culture of not sharing and there's a culture of suppressing that they they think that their situation is incredibly unique and they don't want to burden somebody else with their story mm. or anything like that. And so I, I've noticed recently where I have been running into a lot of people that don't have as much experience with these things um, after spending you know, a decade of being immersed in the bubble of personal development. And, I, and it seems so simple to me now. When I talk to someone who's never done anything and I start talking about these things or I start just listening to them and then, and then inviting them to keep sharing and then, sh and then being able to share like how this is actually a very common experience. There's a there's a, an amount of relief these people are experience. 
yeah. pretty profound. There's one, there's two words that I ask people like that. And yeah. I ask myself whenever somebody's dealing with uh, constriction or like pain, or maybe the conversation is new about emotional intelligence, I'll just say, well, how so? And they're like, what? <laughs> so if someone's dealing with an issue, I'll say, well, how so? Like, what's the issue? That question, or you could even say why. One of the greatest interviewers in the world, Larry King, you know, deceased, he said the most powerful question you could ever ask in a podcast is why, which I love, you know, why or how so. I noticed Joe Rogan uses that a lot. He says, how so? And so I find that just like you, when I'm talking with somebody that has maybe zero experience, they've never done a ceremony, they've never done breath work, they've never played around with any entheogens, they've never really explored the deepest aspects of themselves here in the 3D or four and five, I usually just go, how so? And that, and that tends to give someone comfort, right? It's a very, it's a very nonviolent question. I think that's the question we can ask ourselves more is when you're dealing with something that's causing you pain, how so? Yeah. It's just a freeing question. I think just asking questions in general, that's something I've, I've been good at for a while, but not when things get heated. Yeah. And then when things get heated, there's this um there's this tendency to wanna just like the defenses go up and then you wanna push your narrative back out at somebody. And I, I think the ninja move is to start asking questions. Like somebody came at me the other day on Twitter and uh, I was like You're still on Twitter, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing on Twitter? Uh Mostly fucking with people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twitter and Trolling. Instagram. They, Twitter and Instagram both, dude, they, they feel like these cesspools. They're bad. Where you really it's have really to keep bad. a boundary to not get sucked into people's shit. It's really bad. It's gnarly. So I'm not, I, I mostly go on Twitter just to like see what what people are getting fired up and see the arguments of the day. Yeah. Because yeah. I follow I follow um a really broad spectrum of opinions. So I don't have I don't get a single narrative in my feed. I get a I get a pretty good mix, so uh, it's it's more about just getting a beat on what's going on. I don't get on Twitter every day. It's not. It's probably something I get on once every two weeks, and I scroll through just to get an idea of what's going on in the world, or at least you know what's going on in the minds of people in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not actually what's going on. Uh, <laughs> what the what they're being told to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating, but I do like to troll on occasion. So just. You know, try just, to throw a wrench fun. and shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I uh, one of my favorite things to do is create a pattern interrupt. So if they think that I disagree with them on something, I find a way to agree with them on something, mm. and then now they can't. Like I break, I break some rule in their mind about who I am, or that all people who are like this are also like all this. And it's like, well, this guy believes in this. But he also believes this other thing. It's very confusing. Yeah, I remember we did a podcast um, uh, for Procabulary and, uh -huh. and um, at Paleo, and it was like this power of language conversation. And I remember Mark was like, "You know, words dictate the life that we have, or words dictate the results that we have." And I think we all get that on some level. Yeah. But the best way that I found to like pattern interrupt some someone is just to look at them and go, "Tell me more about that." <laughs> Because it just gets them on the the wheel, you know, yeah. like sharing exactly what. Tell me more about that. Because they're used to people. I think even on Twitter, people are used to almost being aggressive from the from the jump. Yeah, and, and we're not. We don't have to be like that, man. I feel like we're in this constant drip where media is 
really driving clicks because people are irritated. That's the whole construct. Totally. That, that's the whole thing of how it's designed. Well, you hear that? Um, you hear about the the Elon buying Twitter thing. So basically, the the newest thing is that uh, Twitter didn't uh, reveal everything that it was supposed to. The bots. Yeah. Yeah. Primarily the bots, and now I think Elon's pulling the offer, but now they're going to have to pro- provide evidence in court. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if, I mean, a guy like Elon is probably one of the smartest people on the planet. Maybe uh, he mastered the whole thing. I, that's what I'm thinking. Is yeah. Like, is like, because Twitter was being a bunch of dickheads, basically. And I wonder if it was just his uh, super sneaky takedown well, don't you think the truth eventually comes out? I mean, whether it's a hundred years or five, like eventually, the truth will come out. It has to, but not not to everybody. I mean, I think about this is like uh, I think about how the news is right. So whatever was being said on the news like two years ago, the majority of the population still believes that, and it'll likely go down in history books the way that the mainstream media talked about it, right? Mm-hmm. And there will always be some alternative sources that a small part of the population will be willing to even look at. And then I think back 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, and the centralized control around information was even tighter. So yeah. even just 60 years ago, there was three channels. There was three channels and two local newspapers. One was Democrat, one was Republican. Uh there's, there was, it was so few channels that makes me, and I go, wow, if the narrative is this fucked up right now, do we really know anything about history? So I'm not sure that, uh, the, the way I look at it is the truth is in the results. We can look at the results of the way things are currently, and we can try to map back to find out what the truth was, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, I think we have the greatest access to truth now more than ever, but we also have the greatest access to lies. Yeah. So it's just the uh, a mass amount of information. But I think that there's less centralized control over information now, so we probably have the best chance. But when people start talking about history, what happened, you know, there, there's certain aspects that are like, yeah, that's that's fairly objective. Like this law was created, it was it was documented, all this. But it's like this thing happened in this city at this time with amongst these people. I go, maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe it just plays out in the cosmic court, right? Like, yeah. like we're here in 3D. So everything is subjective. I mean, I had this argument with someone, not an argument, but like a heated discussion a couple months ago. And it was around what is subjective truth and what is objective truth. Like, if I drop this cap, it's gonna fall. That's that's we all know, we all see it. But yeah. Beyond gravity and certain universal laws, the rest of it is open to fucking interpretation. And and that interpretation is built on my life experiences and the lens that I see and experience you from, which includes all my trauma, all my stuff, all the beliefs that I've created up to this point. So it's almost like we need a big scrubbing as a society. We need kind of a, a cosmic and a spiritual scrubbing where we can go down and really ask ourselves, what is the objective truth about this life, this experience, what we're doing here on fucking planet Earth? Yeah. Yeah. I think most people don't even, the the, the idea of truth is, is totally twisted. So they're calling things to be true that aren't actually, that there's no way to create evidence for. 
Mm. So like, this is true. It's like, wow, is it though? Like, cause I think you're right. Like, I think, I think that we would be in a much better spot if we were honest about what truth was like truth being this, these objective, these things are very objective, but the moment that humans start fiddling with the data, or even if there's humans collecting the data, we start running into problems. They're collecting the data and then reporting it, but not actually providing the data publicly. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> we have that, 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 that's the, that's the problem with science right now is we have a lot of reporting of data, but the actual data being uh, genuinely demonstrated and, and put out there isn't there. Mm. You know, died with COVID versus died of COVID as being a very, one of these things. And a lot of people, you could say, died with COVID and they hear of COVID. Like their, their ability to pick up on nuance, like there's a lack of nuance built in. And I think a lot of that is due to well, really laziness. I, I'm right there with you. I feel like we've become victims of the intellect where everything has to have scientific proof. But when I hold my son, I don't need any proof to know what love feels like. Or yeah. when you go out on the ground, when you do something that's natural that doesn't need proof, yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah. But the intellect in our society, everything has to have a scientific study attached to it to prove the efficacy. And, and I'm granted, like when you're dealing with somebody with like, five or six comorbidities, yeah, maybe you want to focus more on the science. But the whole the whole thing I'm sharing is like, we've become so distracted and myself at times too, especially like as an HSP who's chosen to be an entrepreneur, I constantly battle with how do I produce and move the needle and make things move forward and still stay soft enough to be connected to the things that don't need proof, that don't need explanation. Like that is a yeah. really big juxtaposition that... Um, maybe in the past year or two, I've really started leaning into like, how do I grow my business? How do I be successful? How do I hold awesome conversations and be a great businessman and still have the balance to stay connected to nature, to, to stay connected to my softness, my, my feminine core. It's funny, we, we redid the podcast. So we killed Wellness Force on 2-22-22 yeah. and then we birthed Wellness Wisdom. And I feel like wisdom is what I'm seeking, man. That, that's, yeah. that's really what I'm most hungry for. And I think most of us are hungry for wisdom. We don't want fucking information and knowledge anymore. We want, that's, to, ha we that's want it to everywhere. Have, we want it to be integrated. Yeah. So, so it's so easy to be like, you know, as Hawkins talks about, the greatest space for most of us is the space between the head and the heart. So how do I close that space? I think it's by doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's by actually connecting with one another. We've, we've lost that art form. I think that's how we heal the, the virus of intellectualization. Yeah, I think there's, um, I, I think part of the issue is, and I don't know if it'd be intellectualization, but there's a, a level of people not trusting themselves. So people are, they, they lack, uh, well, they don't trust themselves. So they don't trust their own observations. So they got to outsource their observations to peer-reviewed studies. Yeah. And so if it's not written on a piece of paper by somebody with a PhD, then it's not real. So they're missing reality constantly. There's the constant reality of truth that's happening right in front of us. And people ask me all the time, what do you think about this supplement or this supplement? I go, we well, should try it out. They're like, well, what's the research say? I just go, eh, it works for some people and some people it doesn't. And guess what? All the outliers in this research, they throw them out. If you're an outlier... That peer-reviewed study doesn't mean shit to you. Yeah. And the only way you're going to know is if you test it. 
You got to test it for yourself. Now, it does get handy to make sure that it's safe. It's not going to kill you. Um, and so, but what I found is I went through a, a, a phase of my life. Well, I, I was deep into the scientific field. And then I went to a phase of my life where if I can't validate it myself, then I won't believe that it's true. Now, <sighs> I, won't, I won't call it truth. Yeah. If it can't be self-validated. Now, dropping the bottle cap and it falling to the floor, there is, I am seeing the truth that that is happening. I can, I can validate that. I can validate this, this idea of gravity, right? Um, I can validate, you know, all sorts of things. Just when I do this, this thing happens, cause and effect. Yes, that's, that's true. I witness polarity in the world. I notice these are things that I can notice and I can validate for myself. These are, these are principles that, that govern the universe. And I think so many people, the same thing happens with law. I mean, we're talking about like laws, principles of the universe. Mm. People are so wrapped up in the words on a page in a scientific study. They're so wrapped up in the words and a law that was put together, you know, by a bunch of men and women that are actually called opinions, like when a judge has an opinion, but then the truth is obfuscated because they use the language of law in, in place of opinion. And so people end up, uh, so people raise this environment where laws are opinions and where uh, research, you know, equals science and you can't, you can't say anything against science, but your your ability to validate for yourself is never encouraged. When you go to school, it's all about regurgitating the words mm-hmm. that were created by somebody else. And there's very little, I'd say the only class I took in college where there was, there was self-validation occurring was in physics. And I think, I, I, I love physics for that reason, is because we would study the concept and then we would then sh- like create a, uh, a sling that would throw a piece of, of steel across the room and we were measuring the arc and gravity. And I, was, I can validate that myself. But the majority of people's education, there is no self-validation. So I think we've got a lot of people trained to just you know, follow the opinions of others. You see that unraveling now in a big way. Like look at everything being decentralized. Education, yeah. first and foremost. Here in Austin, um, I forget the name of the school, but but Mickey Willis has uh, his kids in a, it's not an unschooling program, <clears throat> but it's a program where kids are actually taught to think for themselves, which yeah. that sounds like my kind of school. Yeah. But that is not where I came from at all. I mean, I can remember, are, are you good at math? I'm okay at math. All right. I wasn't that good at math in high school. And I remember at Grossman High School, Mr. Fujiano, he would be like making fun of me because I couldn't do math. And I thought, how is this helpful? Like how is having such a rigid paradigm where if you don't learn exactly what you're taught and there's no room for you, like math is very analytical. I'm more of like a touchy-feely guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how I'm built. So I think really what I'm what I'm getting at is like we we came from this environment that is unraveling so fast right now. And it is happening in such a beautiful way. Like this is what gets me stoked. Because I think about the way that the world's gonna look, and I don't know, none of us know exactly what the world's gonna look like, but the way that everything is truly being democratized and unpacked 
It's awesome. Look at all the college universities. They're under attack. They're scrambling around to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to make all this revenue? You have everything unraveling like that. And that is what gets me excited because yeah, it might suck for a while. We're going to go through some shaky shit. I don't know if y'all know this, but like <laughs> in the next, in the next like three, definitely five years, the the tree is going to be shook so hard that all the things that aren't truthful, as long as we're being honest with one another, they're going to fall to the ground. They're, they're yeah. going to fucking fall to the ground. Yeah. Look at grassroots media, like what you're doing, what I'm doing. These Everybody has got a, a podcast. Everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got some kind of filter, some kind of platform that they're learning and, and sharing information from. I think there's around 2 million podcasts that are, that are uh, regularly posting. That's a lot amazing. more of that have been started, but yeah. weekly posting, I think there's a close to 2 million. Yeah. And I wonder, like I post every week, sometimes twice a week. And a lot of these podcasts, I would, I would be suffice to say that probably 50% or more of the podcasts that are on Apple and Spotify, like they haven't published in two years, three years, four years. It's, it's wild. Yeah. That, that's kind of a sidebar. But, but what I was sharing is like, God, man, it's so exciting. We have to be prepared for this. I can't just let life live me and be a reactive species to my life. I'm putting in financial plans, you know, mental plans, spiritual plans, physical plans, emotional plans, so that I can deal with what's coming. I'm not, I'm not a fear monger. Well, not even like deal with, but thrive in. Thrive in. Because here's the thing is the people that I, I, I was talking to somebody this past weekend who didn't, they, they actually didn't understand the concept of decentralization. He's like, oh, is that like crypto? <laughs> I'm go. I go. Well, that's a form. Kinda, yeah, that is that is a uh, a demonstration of decentralization. But that's not what decentralization is, and it's something that is happening in every every industry, right? So um, the we if we look at what's happening in decentralization, and then we start harnessing it, and we start using decentralized things for our own selves, currently then we're going to be ahead of the curve and we're going to come out thriving and probably with some more money, you know, money, quote unquote money. Yeah. But like you'll, you'll have wealth. I'll say wealth built up, which is different. Um, and for instance, uh, I'm getting solar on my house soon and I, I need, I want to decentralize the grid, right? So uh, as an example of, uh, I think about energy, I think about food, uh, I think about uh, uh, transportation. You know, I have uh, an electric car and uh, and then I'm getting solar put on. It's like, okay, I should be able to drive around. The, I do need to figure out how to hack the Tesla system yeah. in order to, uh, if they try to like <clears throat> kill my car, I need to find a way to flip the switch and become autonomous. Because there is a time in the future where people are going to be hacking people's Electric cars. I think so. I mean, that's why I'm getting a 6.2 V8 Silverado because I think oil will be around. I, I know there's this strong push for autonomous vehicles and electric, but look, you talked about outsourcing earlier. The more that I outsource so aggressively, the less actual faculty I have. So yeah. if I... And it's not to, to diss your car. I'm sure it's a badass car. Tesla's well, it's Ashley's car. Teslas we'll, are. We'll throw her under the bus. Right. Te Tesla. <laughs> Teslas are amazing, but um, I think there's this. It's the most enjoyable car I've ever driven. And I've heard it drives you. Does it drive you? You yeah. actually put in the address and you just kind of chill. You can do that. All right, but you're not like on your laptop in the car or anything. You can. All right. We, we're not telling you're not you to do that, y'all. We're not telling you to do that. 
Hey, it's Josh. And I know that your time is the most valuable, non-replaceable thing you could ever have in your life. Mine too. This is why every single decision that I make, every single product that I purchase, I always look at it through a lens of consciousness. What are the products? What are the foods? What are the things that I can consume for my body and my families that actually make us truly healthy from the inside out? This is why what's stacked inside of my cupboard and in our kitchen is full of Organifi. Not only do I believe in Organifi's mission, but also I've seen the research and I know personally that I've reviewed their organic studies. Anecdotally, it's the best tasting product I've ever had, hands down. Their vanilla and chocolate protein filled with digestive boosting, immune boosting, energy boosting ingredients that are 100% organic and that will leave you feeling nourished, truly nourished. This is the micro and the macro nutrients that all of us are deficient in. And you can get this. You can do this for you and your whole family at a deep discount. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. That's 20% off with the code wellnessforce. You will not find a bigger discount out there online. Support the show while you support your family and also support your wallet. Wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Use the code wellnessforce for 20% off. But there's this like, there's this center point. And I, it's funny, I was just going, I moved all my stuff into the new studio and I was just flipping through Lao Tzu again, you know, and he talks about the middle way. It's like, God, anytime that I'm way outside of the middle way where I'm aggressively right, aggressively left, aggressively anything, I'm going to have to go through more challenge that way. And I'm not saying that we always need to be perfectly in the middle way, but there is something to be said about being in the middle on any issue, on anything totally. at all. Totally. Paul Check, Dr. Tim Brown, all, all the most badass mentors I've ever had, they've all shared with me the same thing. And that is, how do I live my life in the middle way? There's going to be times where I'm not, but for the most part, can I live my life in the middle way with everything that comes my way? That's yeah. the way to live. I, um, it makes me think about uh, Nassim, the, uh, was it Taleb? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And he has the, the barbell theory is like how he does investing which is you invest at the extremes. So you create a balance point in the middle. And so it, it's a form of middle way, or I call it extreme balance. And that is, for instance, I've got a pickup truck that burns oil. And then I've got, you know, a car that's extremely electric. There's no hybrid. It's not a, I don't have a hybrid in the driveway, although that would be nice too. Yeah. But the thing is, is I'm ready for either situation. Oil dries up, which is not going to dry up. But one of the reasons I do solar is because I think if everyone did put solar on their house, then we would burn through the fossil fuels slower. And so I think that's that's a good thing. I'm not opposed to fossil fuels. I think they're they're fantastic, but there it's obvious that there's a there's a supply and demand issue, um, whether it's artificially created or not. Yeah. It's an issue, right? Uh, and so. Um, I, I like the extreme balance thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to hold uh, uh, precious metals and Bitcoin. But the dollar, the dollar is the thing in the middle. But I think a lot of things that are, that are considered to be in the middle are actually dying. And so I really like to go extremely analog and extremely digital. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I, the truck I want to get next it would be a 68 Ford Bronco because there's... Uh, the only electrical part of that would be the radio. I think the air conditioning, uh, if it has air conditioning, and um, and the starter. Aside from that, there's no fuel injection. It's a carburetor. Yeah, 
and everything is mechanical. And I could start it by pushing it down a hill, right? With no electricity at all. And so I think that there's, that would be going in extremely analog. I have some, you know, uh, my friends, we have the same friends, uh, Alex and Sarah. Yes. Alex Rubczynski. Yes. We they, both stayed on their land. Yeah. Well, you stayed on their land and I stayed that's on right, their land. Yeah. yeah. We both, that's how we both moved to uh, Austin was through the same portal and uh, they want to get horses. Oh. So the idea is, you know, if, if all goes to shit and we need to go, you know, go from point A to point B, horses are really the most analog thing you can go for. Yeah. 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 That and foot. I mean, as long as you can walk. <laughs> Um, man, I feel you. I feel you. Like maybe there's a new middle being created, right? So if the middle way is the best way, well, sometimes the middle way only applies for a certain generation. Well, it looks like it's the middle. Well, I think I think that uh, well, I people also confuse the middle with uh, with the illusion, like the the illusory middle. And so, for instance, people will go, "Well, I'm not I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm in the middle, or I'm not left or right. I'm I'm in the middle." And those people are actually not in the middle. I think that mm. the uh, because the idea of government is illusory. It's an illusion that some people have the right to tell other people what to do, no matter how big of a group they form in order to do it. Uh, and so the people are like, oh, I'm in the middle politically. And I go, well, the fact that you're even in the political realm at all puts you really, you know, really far on the spectrum in one direction. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's being in the middle is like very relative to what you consider to be the left and the right. I was getting my blood drawn yesterday for some labs that I'm doing. And I just happened to like sit in the waiting room and I was looking in the TV and big red bar, you know, Biden changes abortion. It's like everything that is around us, whether it's on billboards or in waiting rooms or whatever it is, it is trying so desperately to hold on to the middle, the middle that was. Yeah. But the middle that's coming, it looks so different. I don't know exactly what it is, but at least in my life, in my orbit, it means that I take 100, 100% responsibility for everything that happens, even if it sucks, even if it wasn't my fault. Right. Even, even if someone hurt me or, or did something to me or you know I lost money, like I lost 30K in crypto. I own that. I own that, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to blame the person that gave me advice or I'm, whatever I'm, it is. I'm, I'm, uh, I've got some accounts frozen right now. Okay. In some trading platforms, not in my decentralized wallets. That's which, a better way to do it. Which is, that's where the majority is. Yeah. And that's where it should be. So I just, I feel like the, the middle that was, like the new middle looks like you having your hands in a bunch of different spaces and knowing how to grow food. I mean, like, I'll be honest, like we definitely need more education on that. Like a friend of ours, Jesse Elder has this freedom farm and he's all about growing food. And he's on this narrative, like you got to get food sovereignty, which he could be right. He, he could totally be right. Well, here's the thing is, uh, I, I, I've talked to some friends about this and they, and they, they start thinking about it and talking about it as insurance. And I don't think it's insurance at all because if you can grow your own food, from a regenerative perspective, you're actually getting more nutrition than you could ever buy at the grocery store. Yeah. Right? And it's going to be cheaper. So I'm going to spend less money and I'm going to have higher quality food. And that's if everything stays the same. 
but we know that the soil, the topsoil is being depleted. Yeah. They, the plants don't have the minerals and vitamins that they, they used to have. It's just not there. They're loaded with pollution and pesticides and all this shit. So it's not insurance. Like, I just want to get my food from there anyway. Like, I, I just want to make the switch. And if the supply chain gets all fucked up, then I'm in a really great position. Now it actually feels kind of like insurance and, and I'm, yeah. a, I'm in a great spot. I'm, I got a, uh, I'm starting a garden in my backyard and I'm hunting and I got a, a, a big freezer in my garage. And I, and I think if I could just hunt and grow most of my food, dude, my, my grocery bill, what's your grocery bill a month? You know, it's like 1200, somewhere between 12 and 1500. Yeah. But that's just for myself, for Carrie, and for our infant, which yeah, I guess he doesn't eat a lot. I think we're spending, but we, but we're spending we, a similar amount. We invest in food. Yeah. I invest in food because that's what makes me. That's the food that I eat makes me. It makes my <laughs> physical body. So I, I don't fuck around when it comes to food. So yeah. I, I totally yeah. understand you on that. Yeah, I spend about the same. And I'm thinking if I'm if I'm hunting and I'm growing, it's gonna be a fraction. Drop of it that. down below a thousand. Fraction of that. Yeah. And it's going to be better than anything I'm going to buy. What if we made all these different things, like growing your own food, hunting? What if we just made them all fun? <laughs> Instead of it having to be like someone someone has to tick a box. Oh, now I got to prep for doomsday. Now I got to be a hunter. It's like, <laughs> well, how do, can we just flip the script on that and just say, okay, well, rather than you just take a 30,000 foot view of your life, where are, the, where are the leaks of money in your life? that are being spent on things that aren't actually serving you and th that aren't actually serving your family. Yeah. I bet you for a lot of people, it's like upwards to $1,000 or more a month. So just take that money and put it towards things that are actually serving you. How many people go out and party on weekends? And it's like, what the fuck are you celebrating? If you have all these money issues or if your health isn't in order or if your life isn't in order, what exactly are you celebrating on weekends where you're spending two, 300 bucks on alcohol and partying? There's a time and a place for that. But I think it's really just a stronger priority conversation. And like, how do we enjoy the process of making ourselves sovereign, of making ourselves yeah. really like capable, adaptable to whatever comes our way? I think it was uh, World War II where, I forget what, there was a name for it, where everybody was growing gardens and-, and uh, oh, yeah, victory gardens. Victory gardens. Victory gardens. Yeah. yeah. So it was a way of, of, um, of helping- it was really helping the cause. It's like, okay, so many of our resources are going to building the military that everyone should be producing their own food. And it was on the back end of the depression and, and when all that, I don't know if it was more associated with the depression or if it was more- what, I think it was more it aligned to the war, like to support the soldiers. Yeah. <clears throat> and so everybody had a garden going on and there was, there was uh, I think, a sense of like, national pride that went along with having the gardens. I think that might be one way to get people on board. Instead of trying to scare people into it, you, well, we got we to gotta make it a virtue signaling <laughs> activity. <laughs> There's like, like fear doesn't get me sustainably excited. Fear moves me quickly, yeah. but fear ain't some sustainable fuel source that's going to make me that's just, a great point. You know, this long-term that's, term that's why That's why the news has to change every two weeks. No doubt. It's because the one thing won't stick very long. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they got really clever with COVID where, you know, the numbers were always changing. The goalposts kept moving. Yeah. So, so everybody was like, oh, the game's still going. So it was like the longest time I've seen everyone freak out over one thing. Maybe 9-11 might be, might be a little bit 
similar. 9-11, though, was different because people could could really push away from it if they wanted to. It wasn't directly. Yeah, but when you're everybody. like when you're flying in an airplane and you're told to wear a mask and you you can't, we were in LA <laughs> and we went to the Soho house. Yeah. This is like two months ago. And they were like, vaccination cards, please. At the Soho house? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. I swear to God. And I just went, okay. I looked, I typed in vaccination record and I pulled it up my phone. I'm like, here you go. I just showed him some screenshot that was online. And he's like, what's your name? And I was like, "Uh, Lauren. Lauren's my name. (laughs) And they were like, okay. it's You see, Michael, it's all just a big fucking charade. Yeah. This whole thing. Yeah. It, it, that's why I call it COVID theater. And it's not just COVID. It's also a lot of other beliefs, a, a lot of other things that you should and should not do. That's the shit from the matrix that I really feel like I'm, I've woken up from and I'm continuing to wake up from. A, a lot of the beliefs that were installed by mom and dad, they're still playing out. You know, in you and in me, we're not perfect. We're not like on Come the mountain. On now, I'm perfect. <laughs> we're not on the mountain. Just because I'm wearing this beautiful gem, shout out to Alive and Well. Just because I'm wearing this beautiful gem, or or I'm a spiritual person, you know, I I I just did a solo cast today. It just came out. It was about my vision quest experience, and I don't know if you've ever done a vision quest before. No, no. but they're very in- intense. You know, it's four days of fasting with just water, no tent, just a tarp to cover you. And, and the big piece that came out there for me is what are the parts of myself that I'm still struggling with or the people that I haven't forgiven that are still controlling me? Because then I'm more susceptible to society's control when I'm angry, when I'm triggered, when I'm fighting a war inside myself. All I have to do is just pick a narrative that I can attach to and then my ego gets to hide. It's very fucking sinister, yeah. the ego. I'm not demonizing the ego, but we have to be really cautious of that. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Where'd you do this vision quest? Uh, this is in the Santa Barbara, east of Santa Barbara, a place called Kuyama Valley. And I did it with Tim Corcoran and Mark Tolufson. Tim was introduced to me by a, a mutual friend here, Aubrey Marcus. And he's like, you uh-huh. got to go You got to go out with Tim. I don't know. He just felt it or something. And the first year- Who, Who's the other guy? Uh, Mark Tolufson. Okay. The first year I went out there, it was like, shell shock. I mean, I'd never done anything like that. So you've that done it more than once. I've done it twice. Okay. But when I came back this year, you know, really it was about forgiveness. It was about forgiving myself, all, all the pornography that I consumed, all the, the women that I, you know, didn't act very mature with in my life sexually. And, and also um, some of the ways that I just hadn't forgiven my father or forgiven my mother. And I think that's a universal experience. We all deal with that. But for me, it was real um, it was real deep yeah. because I'm a, I'm a, just a feeling guy. Yeah. And so the first year I, I was wise to what was going on. And then the second year was really like the, the harsh contrast to integrate it. Can you walk us through the experience? Yeah. The, the first year was, um, in Sandpoint, Idaho, which it was real cold. Like we would wake up in the morning, they'd be like frost on the sleeping bag. And um, in the first year, I, I really came to terms with just how fucking angry I was. I was just an angry guy, but I would cover it with a smile or I would cover it with laughter or whatever it is. And that anger came from some very deep stuff in, in childhood. And my story, like, yeah, it might be unique, but everyone has it. Every human being goes through trauma. We all experience it. It's just to the degree that I, I process it and I have the courage to open up to it that's going to be my life. That's going to be the quality of my life. So that that first year, I really got to see all the ways that I was angry at myself, that I was still carrying shame, a lot of shame around like pornography, a lot of shame around my past way of being and 
Pacific Beach. Were you yeah. uh, not aware of that shame? Was it something that was basically lurking in the background, wreaking havoc? It was something where because I have a podcast about wellness and because I'm on the spiritual path, it was easy for me to hide it. It yeah. was easy for me to say, well, I'm shining light on other people, but the dark part of myself, you know, if I hold a flashlight, I can shine light on you. I can give you love. I can teach you things. I can, you know, have millions of downloads on the podcast. But on the backside, it's still dark. Until I turn that fucking flashlight around on myself and be honest about what's illuminated, it's still going to be within me. It's still going to be dragging me down. And so it was a lot of forgiveness around myself, a lot of forgiveness around my father and uh, my mom. Specifically with my mom, I had to forgive God. I had to forgive God and I had to make peace with God because I thought, why would God put a human being on earth with, uh, with a mental condition like bipolar? Like, why would, why would God do that? And of course, you know, when I got back from that first year in Vision Quest, I had this long in-depth conversation with Paul where he illuminated some things for me about God wants to experience God in as many ways as God wants to. That's just the nature of, of the reality. At least that's the construct that makes me have meaning. It makes me have meaning from it. And so there was a deep forgiveness process there. But I'll be honest, like when I got back from the quest, and, and you could say this for any spiritual journey, any ceremony you go through, universe, God, higher intelligence will fucking test you. So you come back with this new wisdom. You're in the process of integrating this new, new wisdom from, a, from an experience. God will test you. Universe will test the shit out of you to make sure that it's actually embodied, that, you, that it lives in your physical body. And so that well, year, you're, you're shifting a narrative. 100%. And the whole world is operating from and treating you from the narrative you were living out of the previous person to you that. Were before. So yeah. they haven't gotten the message yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's up to you as this, you know, version 2.0, post-ceremony, yeah. post-experience, to, to come and actually resonate. You know, that's a spiritual term, but to come back and actually resonate with people in the way that you've garnered the wisdom, like that wisdom is now part of you. And so it took a year for me to integrate that. And on the second trip, um, I got to bury my father. Now he's still alive, but I got to actually bury him, but not from anger, but from kindness. You know, I got to bury my dad and say, look, I'm, I'm here. There's a certain way of, of kindness and a certain way of relating that I, that I need in order to have a relationship with you. And if you can't provide that, then I forgive you anyways. I forgive you anyways, because otherwise that's just going to create physical disturbance in me. It's going to make me have disease. Yeah, it's for you. It's for me. Forgive, yeah. Forgiveness is a, is a gift that I unwrap because I'm courageous. You know, it's a, it's a gift that I unwrap because I have a, a courageous heart because I don't want to feel bad anymore because I don't want to feel existential stress anymore because I want to fucking enjoy my life. That's why I forgive myself and other people. And so there was conversations via text over the next year. Uh, my dad had made no effort to, to see Nova or to be a part of my life or no carry. It's been, we've been together for three years now. And I had to go through the ladder. You know, I reference Hawkins a lot because I love his work so much. And he has the, the frequency scale. And, and right about at 250, there's courage. And then after courage comes acceptance and integration. And then, then you can be of service. Then you can actually shine light on others. But I skipped it. You know, I, I, I went right to the shining light on others. And I bypassed the work of really going through the anger, the rage, the shame, the resentment, the gritty shit, the, the real yeah. shit. Yeah. And so on this second year, it was actually three months ago, I did a ceremony. I, I 
I climbed up to the mountain on like day two. I think it was day two. And I looked down at my campsite and I'm like, well, what and is- And you're by yourself for this. What's up? You're by yourself. Yeah. So for people that don't know, it's done It's done in the Native American style, but I have to be very uh, cautious here because it's not a full-blown Native American vision quest. It was just done in that style. But it's still, I believe, just as potent. It's not like I'm doing a sun dance where they pierce you and they make you dance for four days without water, but it, it's intense. Three There's days- different versions of it. I know some guys who go down to Puerto Rico- Yes. And do a version down there. I mean, different tribes are going to have different flavors. Yeah. I mean, that's with anything. That's with any medicine. The first three days is just you relating with the two guides, you sharing all the things, all your intentions, all the ways that you, with the current level of your awareness, know that are holding you back. Like, you know, you feel it. Like, my resentment towards my mom, my resentment towards, let's say, my sister or an old boss or whatever it is. You fucking come out with it and you really lay it down. And then when you go out to the quest, there's no food. So all you have is water, no element packets. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you do, all you have is water, a little tarp, and a pad. And that's it. And it's some toilet paper. And so it was beautiful, man. Like a sleeping bag. You have a sleeping bag as well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're not totally like out there in the elements, but you really are. And so I, I selected my site and it was so beautiful, Michael. I had this um, infinity loop that was just like, it was just beautiful. There was two bushes and I spent the majority of my time just walking in an infinity loop with my hands behind my back, just like feeling and thinking. So on day two, I go to the top of the mountain, I look down and I, I think there was just this young boy inside of me, like this young child inside of me that like wanted his dad to be different. And I had just been holding on to that. Mm -hmm. And I walked down the mountain and I did this ceremony where I, I found this little bone from a deer and I dug a hole in the ground and I put the bone in the ground and I tasted the earth and I, and I cried and I just said, Hey, you know, I love you. Like I really do. Like, thank you for my life. Thank you for bringing me here into this world. And the door is open for relationship. If there's a foundation of kindness, but if kindness isn't there, then I have to let you go. And I also, I forgive you. I forgive myself for the ways that I've maybe hurt you and, and, and like a real washing of my nervous system. And that was powerful. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm feeling like I'm in the, like I'm in the campsite right now. And it, and it brought me to this place where I was like, wow, forgiveness can be really hard. It's not some light switch that you flick. Like it took me a year to realize it, another year to really integrate it. And then when I came back home, there was tests, right? There was tests where he would write me. And it's not just my relationship with my father. It's relationships that we have with everyone, how we choose to let them communicate with us. That's a really big one. And so um, the integration for me happened when I did that ceremony, I came back home and without anger, without malice, I would just express to my dad or, or to anyone like, Hey, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. If you want to have a relationship or if you want to have this conversation, I need it to be started with kindness. And that's it. If we could all just do that. Oh my God, dude, the world would be such an incredible place, such an incredible place. So that was the gift of the vision quest this year. And I go every year. It's it's a it's a spiritual check-in. And it we don't always need psychedelics to have hardcore potent spiritual check-ins. I would say that for me, I mean I've done ayahuasca 12 times, a bunch of mushroom ceremonies and I love to do deep breath work as well. I had in those 4 days of fasting, I had a fucking conversation with my grandfather. He's been dead since 2002. And we actually had a full-blown conversation where he was right next to me. 
and he was sharing things about his life. And, and this is just in the absence of food. So it makes me wonder for myself and for all of us, if I put myself in situations where I'm not distracted by food or phones or society or anything, what fucking radical truth can come up for me to actually let go of things and live life fucking free? That, yeah. that was the ultimate gift of the quest. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're reducing all the stimulation. Yeah. Right? Uh, food is so stimulating. And conversations with people in the space, you know. Really our phones too. Oh, the phones are nuts. The phone is like this massive learning curve. Yeah. Where I'm like, and coffee too. Coffee uh-huh. for me is like this love uh-huh. hate. Well, I used to, so, I, I had an experience on, uh, I did a Wachuma ceremony in 2015. And we did it fasted. So it's like halfway through the day, I'm on Wachuma, which is a, a cactus yeah. that contains mescaline. And so I'm having an experience and I'm, my stomach is growling. And I was, I was like, fuck, I just want a banana. And <laughs> <laughs> I call this, I'm in Peru. I call a shaman over the, the Wachumero. And I say, hey, uh, I'm really hungry. <laughs> Felt like such a child in that moment. It's like, I'm a yes. grown man. I can't go a whole day without eating. Yeah. And um, he goes, well, I think I saw him give somebody else a banana. I think I think someone needed like some sugar. And uh, I wanted the same thing and he didn't give it to me. All he did, all he said was, uh, what are you really hungry for? And then I sat there and I sat there. But one of the things that came up for me was how I make uh, every time... I encounter something that I dislike, I'll go make a cup of coffee. Huh. And I'm like, oh, there's an email that came through. I don't really, I don't really feel like answering this email right now. You know what? I would love a cup of coffee. So I was just consuming coffee throughout the day. And I recognized that every time I made coffee was to avoid something. Mm. And uh yeah, so I don't drink coffee anymore. <laughs> oh, so you're coffee free. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I had some this weekend. Occasion, I probably drink. I'll probably, on average, one cup a month or something. It's like, like a treat. It's a treat. Yeah, it's a treat, and it's actually gotten to be not that good. Dude, you know, what I was feeling when you were talking about that is is all these things that come in and distract a human being from what they know in their soul is the right thing to do. And coffee is one of them. For me, for like twenty five years, it was pornography. And oh I'm, yeah, a lot of people deal with this. So yeah, I would do that too. You do I, that, that too. That was uh, definitely my. 20s maybe maybe to like 32 yeah. something like that was well, for like, me it was up there it was like 39 yeah 38 39 yeah yeah what have you found since cutting it out i found that i do the things that are hard and they're still hard <laughs> 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 there's they're still like like there's a lot of things but they get done now. they get done yeah and yeah. I, and i it's funny i was in the car with Carrie 2 days ago when we were going to Barton Springs and I was like, wow, you know, I realized that that with the absence of pornography, I have so much more chi to share. Yeah. I have so much more chi to, and just more energy, more capacity. A big piece of that that played out for me was, um, and we probably don't have the time to go into the full story right now, but it was actually ayahuasca that kicked my ass so bad, so deeply. Like I got the biggest slap from ayahuasca around pornography mm-hmm. my, my first year in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm that it scared me so deeply. I mean, like, imagine imagine 
source coming in and grabbing your heart and squeezing your heart so you could actually feel the blood in your heart. I mean, it was that kind of fear that it brought up in me. And the message was, if you continue to go down this path of using pornography, this is what your life will look like. Yeah. And I mean, I just got like a chill in my arms because it's, it's such a profound lesson for me that I'll never go back. <laughs> I'll never go back to it. Yeah, it's, it's um, if you really kick it in a healthy way, and it's not just a brute force, like I need to stop because I think it's bad for me. Yeah. Then yeah, it, it, going back seems ridiculous. So one of the things I noticed, you're talking about chi, right? Your mm-hmm. energy. And one thing that I found is when I was younger, I didn't know what to do with all my energy. It was it was overwhelming. So I was constantly having to figure out ways to release I it. I feel the same way. Right? Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> if you're our age, then pornography was just readily available constantly. And so it's a it is a way to release that energy. Uh I uh the way I got pornography free was uh I was on a mission to be better at sex. And I, uh, I got into uh, some tantric pro- uh, practices. And through those tantric practices, I realized that my ability to be present during sex was being diminished by, by porn. Uh, my mind would basically, during sex with a, wom- a beautiful woman, would jump to uh a, a pornographic scene. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not even really enjoying the sex. And I started getting present to uh, the fact that I wasn't actually enjoying the sensation of sex. It was the idea of sex while having sex. It was, it, it was so perverted. And um, so in that practice, I started doing retention exercise where I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, release which means I probably shouldn't watch porn because I was just racing to release when I was watching porn, basically. Were you doing like the Montauk Chia approach, the cosmic orbit where you like hold your, your perineum? Yeah. 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 And, um, but, I, but I, I basically just had to take a break from doing any of it. Like even anything that was pleasurable except for sex. And I, I remember taking a month off and then having some of the most profound sexual experiences I'd ever had from just one month off. And uh, I, wouldn't, I, w- I can't say that I haven't watched porn since, but I've had about eight years where it's very infrequent. It's, it's, even when I do do it, it's, it's a different experience. I, I have watched it with women. Um, it's, um, yeah, it, it would seem ridiculous to go back to the habit uh, of doing it every day. Yeah, but what what was the fulcrum that you shifted permanently from? Like what what made you say, "All right, I see it differently now." Well, just the desire to have great sex. Okay. That was that yeah. was like purely it. And and after that, I then realized that I was I my energy was diminishing every time I did it. Like yeah. my ability to show up the rest of the day after that was was not great. And, um, and also I am 40 now, so I, I have less energy. I'm not, I don't have as much. And I've been in the practice and I've gotten this a lot from ayahuasca is learning how to, uh, consistently direct that energy Mm -hmm. instead of it 
the energy just blasting in all directions and not knowing what to do with it. So I need to reduce it. Now I have a lot of, I probably have less energy, but I now know what, how to direct it. Yeah. So I think there's that, there's like a crossover when you're a young guy, you have so much energy that you can kind of waste it. You, you can, you can waste it and yeah. still get shit done. But then that energy begins to diminish with age, but also you're having to learn how to control it. So there's this crossover point where uh, you can actually not be such an asshole all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on the performance. I, I would feel like I dealt with this too, where scenes would pop up out of nowhere. Uh-huh. And I would say, that's interesting. And then they would start to pop up more often. And that's right around the time where I got my ass kicked with ayahuasca. So I was grateful for it. But not everybody has to have that experience in ayahuasca. I think just like what we're sharing about, if you have a mission, if you have something you fucking care about, like your family, your purpose, whatever it is, if you notice that it could be way, way better, it's probably due to your porn usage. If you're using porn, yeah. If, if you're using porn. Obviously, if you don't have an issue, you don't have an issue. But I'm also not here to demonize porn. I think there can be erotic art that's tastefully done. I don't think all pornography is, is like demonic or anything. I'm not anti-porn. I'm, I'm really just like pro-conscious sex, pro-conscious being. Yeah. You know, anytime I'm anti, it's like I'm fighting a fucking boulder <laughs> up, a, up a mountain. It's easier to be with the flow of something than, than to fight against it. Yeah, you know? what's the intention? What's the purpose behind it? What's, just like anything. I mean, what, what am I trying to achieve in my life? Like for me, it was a choke point, man. It was like, I couldn't, I'm 42. So I have to be very careful, very cautious, actually, very cautious of where I put my energy. And so if I'm wasting my energy on porn, it can't go to my son. It can't go to my woman. It can't go to my business. Like that in itself is, if anybody's feeling this, a beautiful starting point to just have a, an inquiry like, all right, is this really something that I want to do anymore? And from that point, what I battled for a long time, I, I knew in 2013, 2014 that I had an issue. And I just kept like pacifying it, going, oh, it's fine. I have, you know, I'm good. I, One more I'm, day. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, it, all, all addiction is like that because addiction is where I'm, you know, really not peaceful at home in my body. It's like I'm getting some kind of external stimuli to, to make me feel more peaceful. Yeah. But the, it's, like a, it's like a scaffolding. And eventually you're going to have to take the scaffolding off so the building can just stand on its own. Well, it's, it's the same way with me and with any of us. So I, I would say for anyone dealing with that, um, gosh, you know, my heart goes out to you. Like it can be a, it can be a real battle, dude. And really the, the biggest turning point for me was seeing what my life, feeling what my life, my mission and everything would be if I continued to walk the path. That was like the wake up call, the yeah. ultimate wake up call. This makes me think about, um, I was reading something about discipline the other day and it was, um, Discipline's not about doing something or not doing something. It's about it's about seeing something greater down the road than than what you could access right now. And your commitment to something greater later mm. is is what really drives real discipline. If you don't have a vision of the future or a mission or something you're trying to accomplish, trying to kick a habit like that is probably not gonna work. Yeah. There has to be something that pulls you rather than pushes you. Yeah. It's You're like, not going to push yourself. Some people, they're like, I want to feel more motivation. I'm like, motivation's fucking bullshit. <laughs> For me, at least. That's my experience. I, it I comes have, and goes. I have to do things that inspire me. Like, 
what inspires me the most is how do I how do I fill up my <clears throat> Pentagon? Like how do I get my mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial? How do I how do I thrive? To use your word, thanks for that reminder. I haven't used that word in a while. Yeah. Thri- like truly, how do I thrive in all those categories? The only way I'm going to do that is if I'm not leaking energy. I mean, it could be porn or shopping or scrolling. I mean, there's many ways that we leak energy, leak chi. So it's a really important thing to just be aware of and to, and to start your discovery on because whatever's there is there whether you look at it or not. So you may as well fucking look. Yeah. Anything you want to leave the listeners with? I would say that we all need to breathe more. Yeah. One thing I've been conscious of, like just hearing you talk is I breathe through my nose. That's, that's the main thing. That's another way that we leak energy. We have almost a thousand students in our breathe program. That's at breathwork.io. It's one of the ways that, you know, when I do get cravings or when stuff comes up for me, I use my breath work. I traveled the world in 2019. I trained with Niraj Naik from Soma Breath for a month in Thailand. And I've worked with Anahata Ananda and Gwen Payne and um, Dan Brule, who was Tony Robbins' breath coach. And so I really feel like that is the ultimate for, for me. Um, I can't do deep journeys like I used to. There's certain things in my life when it comes to like, exploration or consciousness exploration that don't serve me anymore but breath is free you know as long as you know how to do it properly you know how to breathe through your belly you know how to actually breathe i would say that's the big piece so people can go to breathwork.io and check out my program and also the podcast it's the wellness wisdom podcast which i would love to share your wisdom on that podcast at some point this year that'd be amazing excellent let's do it and um so those two those two places is where you can Learn about me. I'm on Instagram too, but I try not to check it every day. Yeah. Three or four times a week. Yeah. Like Truthfully, I pretty much the only thing that's happening on my Instagram account for me right now is uh, I have someone ripping uh, things from this show and posting it there. But, okay. Yeah, I'd prefer... Look, if you're, if you're watching me on Instagram, I would prefer you just tune into this show every time to subscribe and, and tune in. Get off of Instagram, and yeah. uh, I'll, I'll I'll keep posting Instagram for the people who are still stuck there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, connect with me as a human being. Like, come to an event or yeah, reach out to me personally. You know, yeah. I mean, I'll if you guys are triggered by anything I said, cool. <laughs> or or if you agree with what I said, you know, I, I'm I'm an open book. You can just write to me info at wellnessforce.com. Perfect, old school. Yeah, love it. Love yeah. you, brother. Love you too, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you being here so much. You know, time is our most valuable resource. It's something we can never get back. And the fact that you spend your time, your breath, your presence, your mind, your heart, your body, your soul here with me on the podcast, I am so grateful. I want to give you a free gift. Head over to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. This is where I've taken these 500 episodes and I've squeezed down to get just the juice, the most important nuggets The things that'll move the needle for you in your life right now, maybe you're needing a wellness reset or a reboot. These are six science-backed practices that I promise you from my research and my application will help you go from A to B, the person you are now to the person that you desire to be, the one that is fulfilling their potential. joshtrent.com forward slash M21. One of the practices in the M21 is breath work. This is a guide that in 21 minutes a day, you can take these six foundational wellness practices backed by science. And in 21 minutes a day, you can completely revolutionize the way that you feel in your body, 
the way that your mind speaks to you and the way that your heart operates as a guidepost in the world. Now, back to breath work. If you've been wanting to use your breath to clear your stress, if you've been curious about how to use breath work in a practical way, I wanna invite you to join us in the three-week journey over at breathwork.io. This is the Breathe Breath and Wellness program where I can personally guide you one-on-one to get the fundamentals about the posture, the process, and the application of using breath that you're already doing just in the most beautiful way to clear your stress. Breathwork.io. Use the code JOSH25. JOSH25 gets you 25% off the entire three-week journey. Come join me. Breathwork.io. I'll see you there.